We believe that oh, our deep conviction is that God speaks through his words. So rather than us pick and choose the nice bits and leaving aside the, the difficult bits, uh, we work our way through books of the Bible. I, I don't think we would look at 1 Corinthians if we were just picking the nice bits because there's some ugly stuff in there. Oh, well, let me pray that God does speak to us this evening and then uh, we'll get into it. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you are a speaking God, that you have given us your word, that you have given us your spirit so that we might know you. And Lord, we do pray that tonight as we kick off 1 Corinthians, uh, we might see our beautiful Saviour and we might see ourselves in him. Please spur us on to live for him, to know him and to bring glory to yourself. Amen. Well, as I said, we're working through 1 Corinthians, but before we get there, I want to say tonight, my goal is to persuade you to take your church mask off. What? Wearing a mask? Uh, We all wear masks, don't we? We all wear masks for different situations of our lives. My favourite is the tradie mask that I wear. You know when a tradie comes around your house and you get a working class? You're like, I can't do Aussie working class, but if it was in England, be all right, mate, all right, how's it going? That's a nice fanny you've got, nice toolbox. You know, when you try and get alongside the tradie, you put on a mask. And we do that at church, don't we? Every time we come into church. It's difficult. It's difficult not to. You might, you might have your mask on tonight. Maybe you're here for the first time or, or you're not a Christian and you've got your mask on and you're going, make them think that you know the songs. Make them think that you know the songs. I don't know half the songs, so uh, don't worry about that. Uh, maybe you've had a nightmare week. You've been a Christian for years and you've fallen into that sin again. You've had another disaster. And so you put the mask on and you come into church and you drop names like John Piper and Spurgeon. And you drop in what you were reading in your Bible during the week. And behind the mask you realise that you've been plagued by sin. You stand up and you sing, I love you Jesus, I worship you. But you know that the other six days, your life has been far from being a follower of Jesus. Ever wear those masks? Perhaps you're sick of the mask. Perhaps you've just been so plagued by sin and find following Jesus so hard that you're sick of wearing this mask. And you're thinking you're better off just jacking in Jesus and carrying on with the person under the mask. I want, as we go through 1 Corinthians to persuade you to take off the mask and put on Jesus. The Corinthians uh, were wearing masks of religion all the way through their church, and it was a disaster. And we see in 1 Corinthians what was underneath the mask, and it was ugly, and it was sinful. Over this series, I want to persuade you to take off the mask and put on Jesus. Because he gives you a hope like nothing else. And the gospel is great news, even for people who need to wear a mask. Well, let's look at at Corinth. Uh, Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, uh, Corinth, uh, anyone know where it is? You can't really see it on the screen. It's it's in South south of Greece, trust me. Just east of Athens, it was a port. Um, There is two little... um, 
it kind of uh, sits in between, between two bits of water. And in the first century, uh, people used to pay other blokes to carry their boats from this one bit of sea to another bit of sea. I think it's about five or six K. But these massive ships, now they've got a, a canal there. So it's a massive port. It was destroyed by the Romans in 146 BC, and it laid ruined uh, for just under a hundred years before the Romans uh, rebuilt it in 44 BC. And they made it awesome. The Romans made this city awesome. It was this cultural epicenter. It was like uh, Melbourne, uh, it was like the, the, the art scene of Melbourne with the harbour of Sydney. All the good stuff of all the good cities in the world. This cultural sporting epicenter. It was, it was awesome. It was the envy of the near ancient, uh, near ancient eastern world. Uh, here's a picture of what it looks like now. You can actually go to the new bit. It's a bit further, a few kilometres up the road. Uh, that's what it looks like now. But here's what it looked like then. There. The interesting bit about Corinth was that it was the sex capital of the world. It was Amsterdam. They had a, a, a temple uh, to the goddess Aphrodite. And in the temple were 1,000 prostitutes. The men used to just go off to the temple. 1,000 prostitutes in a temple overlooking the city. Uh, it was so famous that to call a girl a Corinthian, to call a woman a Corinthian, was to call her a slut. It was the sporting cultural capital, but it was also the sex capital. It was a city uh, driven by money, sex, and power. And it had a disdain for authority. That's one of the things that the historians keep recording. They hated authority. They loved the individual. So if it felt good, do it. That was the, the vibe of Corinth. If it felt good, do it. And don't worry about authority. And the church in Corinth, well, it got consumed by its culture. Paul had spent 18 months... Um, four years before this letter was written, Paul spent 18 months in Corinth. He was preaching the gospel. People were becoming Christians. The church was growing. And then four years later, it became one unloving mess of a church. There were factions and cliques. There was backbiting. There were lawsuits between members of the church and sex got into this church as well. Sexual immorality was rife. There was neglect of marriage. There were guys going off to visit prostitutes. There was incest. This is how bad it was in the church in Corinth. One guy who we'll read about, uh, he was sleeping uh, with his stepmother. Uh, now that was so bad that even the unbelievers in Corinth, Corinth, thought that that was pretty twisted. That's what Paul says, that even the unbelievers don't tolerate this. And this was going on with one of the leaders in church. Disgusting. Uh, they were gathering, their gatherings were chaos. They were showing off in their gatherings. Some were speaking in tongues. Someone else was doing something else. They were showing off, putting on their masks, trying to show how Christian they were. Dropping the names of their favourite preachers uh, so that people would see how spiritual they were. We've all done it. We've all done it. We've all been there. All shown off. 
they were um, and they were getting drunk over the Lord's Supper. So having the Lord's Supper and people using it for a booze up. And no one seemed to mind. That was the culture of the church. The culture of the city had come into the church. And it was one unloving mess of a church. Now I want to ask you, how would you pastor that church? If you were writing 1 Corinthians, what would you say to that church in the opening paragraph? Let's do it uh, with your neighbour for a couple of minutes. How, what would you say in the opening paragraph to a, to a, in a letter to that church, that mess of a church? Okay, let's come back together. What would you say? A couple of volunteers to give an answer. What would you say? Roger, your sense, what would you say? expect the opening line to be, what are you doing? What are you doing? What else would people say? What else would people... You're in strife, mate. I love it. I, I, imagine if Al Stewart from Home and Away would say, you flaming galahs. Yeah, you're in strife. What are you doing? Anyone else? Sorry? Yes, that's Australia, the management consultant books, isn't it? Uh, so remember to say one good thing, then deliver the blow, and then finish off with another good thing when you're giving feedback. Crit Sam. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone not be as polite? Yeah, I've put 18 months of hard graft into you, and you are sleeping with prostitutes. I don't think I'd even bother writing to them. I'd just like, uh, write them off, let's get on, let's go somewhere else, let's go to another holiday destination and preach the gospel there. Uh, You would expect him to be cross. What are you doing? Look what you've done to God's church. You would expect him to start off cross. But the big surprise is, read verse 4. Have a look at at verse 4 with me. He says, I always thank my God for you. That's an interesting thing. He thanks God for them. And he knows what they've been up to. Verse 2. He calls them saints. Now that is a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Because we know what they've been up to. He calls them saints. Some commentators think that Paul is being sarcastic here. 
and uh, elsewhere in the in his letter, no doubt he is being sarcastic. But I think here he's genuinely being thankful. Why is he being thankful? Because he knows God still loves his church. We've called the um, our series "God Still Loves His Church." Back, back on that, please. Um, God still loves his church, despite the mess that Paul finds in Corinth. Despite all the stories and scandals and rumours and ugliness that is going on in Corinth, Paul knows that God still loves his church, that he has got a plan for his world, to reach his world with the gospel. And he knows that when they fully realise that God loves them, then they'll be, uh, they'll start to change. That when they fully grasp how much God loves them in the depths, not a better version of themselves, when, how much God loves them in their depravity, then they will change. And we need to know that, don't we? That we need to realise that God loves us. He doesn't love the masked version of you. He loves the ugly, immoral version of you, not a better version of you. God loves you and he sent his son to die for you. So that's our goal in this series, to take off our masks and cling to Jesus, to fully embrace Jesus. I wonder whether you noticed in the opening ten verses that Jesus appears ten times, not quite every verse, But ten times in the opening verses, uh, Paul wants us to know what we have in Jesus so that we will take off the mask and embrace the Jesus that we have. Well, I've got three things to encourage us to take off the mask, three things from this text for us to know that we have in Jesus. Firstly, we're going to know who we are in Jesus. Paul tells us that. Secondly, he's going to tell us what we've been given in Jesus. And thirdly, he's going to tell us what we're part of in Jesus. So first point, know who you are in Jesus. And I wonder whether you notice Paul tells them that they are two things in Jesus. They are called and they are sanctified. Um, They're called and they are sanctified. Did you notice uh, the repetition of the term calling? So verse 1, Paul says, Paul called an apostle of Christ Jesus. Um, (coughs) To the the church at Corinth, actually the word for church means called out of, but um, to the church at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called as saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of the Lord. Paul wants them to know that they are called by the Lord. Now when Paul talks about the calling of the Lord, he's not talking about the kind of calling that I do when I tell my kids that dinner's ready and they need to switch the TV off. You know the, you know the thing? Uh, Johnny, dinner's ready, switch the TV off. Yeah, Dad. Five minutes later, Johnny, turn the TV off. Yeah, Dad, still on. Now the calling of the Lord is the irresistible call of the King. I wonder whether you know, knew that you were called by the Lord, the irresistible call of the King. Uh, you didn't 
accidentally uh, stumble upon Jesus. You didn't somehow uh, come round to the idea that you might become a follower of Jesus. Those things happened. You were called by Jesus. And Jesus was irresistible. You didn't accidentally stumble uh, across hearing the gospel. Uh, You hearing the gospel was beautifully orchestrated. All the little people, all the little events, all the little coincidences that happened for you to hear about, hear that Jesus died for your sins, to rescue you from hell, to save you for the new creation. All those little coincidences, you can talk, talk about them over dinner, they were all beautifully orchestrated. God didn't get the wrong man or the wrong woman. He didn't mean to get some other bearded ex-rugby player called Pete and he got Andy instead. No, he called Andy the immoral, rotten Andy. And that is a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautifully liberating thing that God knows what's under the mask. That God knows what's under the mask and he called you to rescue you. Now that term that we... um, that I said, um, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. That term, in every place who call on the name of the Lord, that is a massively loaded term. We heard it, heard it um, read in Malachi in the Old Testament. And what it describes is God's plan to call you and I, people who aren't Jews, to call people from every tribe, tongue and nation to call on the name of the Lord. God's big, the, the theologians call it, this big eschatological plan. I can't even say it. can't let, let, let spell it. His big plan is to call you. Is to call church by the bridge, Blues Point Road. That is bizarre, isn't it? That we are, we are the, the, the highlight of God's plan. You are the main game. He's called us. Well, he's also sanctified us. To be sanctified means to be made holy. Uh, To be made holy means to be a saint. Uh, To God's church at Corinth who are sanctified in Jesus Christ and called saints. You read that and go, hello, have you seen my life? Have you seen my life, Paul? Have you seen the Corinthians' life? Did you know what they are up to? To be called a saint is to be called perfect. You see, God knows the moral mess that we are. He knows what we're like. He knows the secrets of our hearts. But yet because of Jesus, he calls us saints. He calls us perfect in every way. Beautiful souls. Not the ugly, uh, immoral people that we know we are. In us, in, the, in, our, in our most deepest secrets. And Paul says that to the Corinthians. They are visibly immoral. And Paul says, you are the saints, you are the sanctified people in Jesus. That is beautifully liberating, isn't it? Beautifully liberating that we do not have to come to church with a mask. Ever go to those churches where they feel like fitness first? You know, fitness first, where people are uh, running on the treadmill uh, or on the muscle machines, I don't know what they're called, uh, the, 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 the machines, and they're comparing themselves to each other. Ever go to one of those churches where people are comparing themselves to each other? Church shouldn't be like that. 
Church shouldn't be like a gym. I don't want uh, Blues Point Road uh, to be a gym where we come in dropping John Piper and uh, saying that we had a 20-hour quiet time yesterday. I want us to come in with our brokenness, take off the mask, and know that we are the, we are the saints of God. We are perfect because of Jesus. And we can bring our mess. It sh- this place uh, shouldn't be like a gym. It should be more like the emergency room where we bind each other up as we help each other to battle with sin and go out into the world to live for Jesus and love like Jesus. It's liberating. It's also levelling, isn't it? It means that there cannot be no one-upmanship. There can't be any uh, cliques. There can't be one-upmanship. There can't be any showing off because we're all rotten. There's no super holy Christians on our own. And there's no second class Christians. There are only rotten sinners saved by grace. Called saints because of the blood of the Lamb. God knows what's under the mask. And he still loves you. But to know who we are in Jesus. Well secondly, we're to know what we're given in Jesus. That's verses 4 to 9. And uh, you might have noticed as it was read out, we get three tenses here in this little section. So we get uh, past, present and future. So verse 4 is the past. I always thank my God for you because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus, that by him you were enriched in everything, in all speech and all knowledge. That is past tense. When you became a Christian... When you believed in Jesus, when you called upon the name of the Lord, he gave you this incredible grace. Grace just means undeserved gift. He gives us this incredible gift to be called saints. And here we learn that we are enriched in everything. Again, I'm constantly reading through 1 Corinthians going, you haven't really met me, have you? You haven't, you haven't met me uh, in all speech and all knowledge. No, you haven't listened to my sermons. But, uh, And it is incredible, isn't it, that we have been enriched in all speech and all knowledge. Uh, There was this uh, class system in the Corinthian church where people were showing off and others were feeling inferior. But Paul says, no, you've been made equal. You've all been given the grace of God. You've all, in Jesus Christ, been enriched in everything, in all speech and all knowledge. And in a city where speech and knowledge were a big currency, that is a massive thing. Well, the present thing is um, verse 7, or I'll read from verse 6. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, What what are we like now? What has God given to us now in Jesus? Uh, Well, he is... He has given us everything. We lack no spiritual gift. Uh, Ephesians 1.3 says that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You have everything. God has thrown you the kitchen sink. He has redeemed you. He's saved you. He's made you holy. He's given you an inheritance. And he's made you his heirs of his kingdom. Paul says he has given you everything. You do not lack 
any spiritual gift. Why are we given every spiritual gift? End of verse 7. So that we will wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has appointed an end point in history where Jesus will come back and he will restore this broken world and he will fully mend our broken hearts. He will restore this world where, uh, to a place where there is no more mourning or crying or pain or suffering. And he has equipped us now so that we can wait. But what's the future? He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of the Lord. So every day from now, if you're a Christian here today, every day from now, the Lord will strengthen you. He knows what's under the mask, but yet he will strengthen you so that you will reach that end point, so that you will meet Jesus face to face. And then on that last day, we will be blameless, completely like Jesus. And you uh, read promises like this and you go, surely I've got the wrong end of the stick. Why would God do that? Surely I feel like I'm getting worse rather than getting better. Why would God do that? Well, the answer is verse 9, that God is faithful. God has promised that he will do that. You were called by God into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. And one day uh, we will meet him face to face. God is faithful and one day we will meet his son face to face completely made like him. I I want to encourage you to remind each other of that as we come with our brokenness as we come into the emergency room remind each other week to week that God will strengthen you to the end that there is a plan, you haven't got the wrong end of the stick that God will strengthen you we need to know uh, what we're given in Jesus finally we need to know Uh, what we're part of in Jesus. Let me read verse 10. Now I urge you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Now just like there were, uh, just like there were uh, 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 10 mentions of Jesus Christ in the first 10 verses. Do you notice in this last section, 10 to 17, there are a bunch of other names. There's a repetition of other names. There's a repetition of I. And that is the heart of the Corinthian problem. Their divisions were caused by their masks, if you like. They came into church with their religious masks on. Do you see um, uh, verse 12? Um, one person was saying, I'm with Paul. The other person was saying, I'm with Apollos. Another person was saying, I'm with Cephas. And someone else was saying, I'm with Christ. These divisions were happening, not because uh, these people were teaching different Gospels, but because these factions and cliques were centering around the different preachers uh, that were around in these... There were a bunch of small little uh, churches in Corinth. They were... But they were, the, 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 these different uh, sects and tribes were forming around uh, the different preachers. And it really was just one of those masks that you put on. Like when you name drop John Piper or you name drop I go to church by the bridge when you're in a, at another church. We've all done it. We've all done it. Um, um, they were causing 
these divisions. And uh, they were causing these divisions, and people were just uh, named, trying to be pious. They were saying, I'm with Paul, I'm with this other guy, Apollos, I'm with, with Cephas. Uh, and the, the, the real pious one, people, are, you know, people do this, I'm with Christ. I, know I just like to keep my Christianity real. I just stick to the Bible. I stick to Jesus. I'm not one of these preachers, guys. Now, this was a real problem. And a lot of the problems that we see in the rest of the book were caused by this showing off, by, this, uh, by these little cliques and factions within the church. And it was a huge problem. And Paul says to them, I urge you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Now, we've got to take that on board. Um, I came to Sydney nine years ago now, and I've got to say that Sydney and uh, Christianity in Sydney has got to be one of the most tribal places I've ever been to. I totally didn't get it for the first five years of me being a Christian here. And I kept dropping, I kept asking quite innocent questions to the wrong people. And uh, really dropping all these uh, this uh, church politics and putting my foot in it around the place. But um, Sydney and Christianity in Sydney and the Christian world in Sydney, I've got to say, is a big tribal place. UNSW versus Sydney Uni, the eastern suburbs versus the northern beaches. We lived on the east and we went to college with a load of northern beaches people. Uh, sorry, I went to, we, we arrived and went to church in the east and then I went to theological college with a load of Northern Beaches people. And I wondered why they didn't talk to me, why I got left out of anything. Now I realise because uh, Northern Beaches people don't speak to Eastern Suburbs people. Uh, Lower North Shore is the best though. Uh, so still... <laughs> I jest, I jest. But that can be a real problem. I, that laughter puts uh, puts a finger right on where this text speaks to. I do not want Church by the Bridge, Blues Point Road, uh, to be a place that that thinks it's above other people. And I don't want us to be comparing ourselves uh, to Kirribilli. I don't want us to be comparing ourselves uh, to uh, the churches up the road, to the churches that we came from. We've all come from another church, most of us. And we came for a reason. But let's not be divided. Uh, the people in other churches, they love Jesus. Uh, we're not to be divided. We're not to have one upmanship. We're to know that we are all called. We're all, all to be saved. Now that uh, really hits home as we start being church by the bridge. Uh, the, the temptation for us will be to get into our little Blues Point Road ghetto and never venture up to Kirribilli. But let's make sure that they see how united uh, we are. Let's be united with our brothers and sisters, the other side of the tracks. It's rough over there. Yeah, hold on to your wallet. Um, we might organise we might organise some arm wrestles or something like that um, but let's make sure that we are uh, that we do at uh, 1, uh, 1 verse 14 that there are no divisions among us that we are united with the same understanding um, our vision is to be a diverse community of disciples who live for Jesus and, and love like Jesus and let's be that together with them let's get up to um, the hive kick off this week and be together. Let's not be uh, this fragmented uh, church. 
Now, I want to finish just by asking and setting us a goal, really, for Church by the Bridge, Blues Point Road, that if the Apostle Paul came to see us in a year's time, after our year, uh, after our first year of meeting together, what kind of church do you think he would see? What kind of church do you want him to see? It would be easy to be a church that is arrogant, that thinks it's above everyone else. It would be easy to be a church of cliques, uh, the little group that always goes off to the Commodore, the other little group that goes off uh, to the Blues Point Road Hotel, the, the other group that goes for a cup of tea. Uh, we could easily be that. Are we going to be that cliquey church? Or are we going to be a, a united church who looks out for everyone, who looks out for the broken? Are we going to be the church who wears mosques, who comes to church on a Sunday night and shows off, who sings their loudest, who waves their hands in the air, sings, I love you, Lord, but the rest of the six days we're a broken mess a million miles away from Jesus. Are we going to take off the mask and let put on Jesus, let Jesus change us and shape us as we are, not a better version of ourselves. Are we going to know who we are in Jesus as a church, the called, sanctified saints of Jesus, being in a scruffy old building in the lower North Shore? Are we going to know that what we've been given by Jesus, completely equipped, completely undeserved, to get to the last day to meet Jesus in purpose, in, in person? And are we going to know what we're part of? God's united church, his trophy, his bride, which was thousands of years in the making, a whole Bible story in the making for you to sit here and to call on the name of the Lord. We are very privileged. We need to keep reminding ourselves and we need to know it for ourselves. Let's pray.